0: politics stressful do you worry that the people that we place in office don't operate from god's wisdom welcome to through the bible i'm steve schwetz and if you answered yes to these questions then stay with us as dr j Vernon mcgee reassures us that god is not sitting idly by in fact we'll learn that he has his hand in our government so let's get started and find your seat on the bible bus and let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you that just as we trust you with the details of our lives, so we can trust you with the details of our country and the world. As we study, help each of us to worry less and then depend more on you. May we accept the rest that you have for us in yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Now fasten your seatbelts because we're off to Proverbs 21 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now, friends, as we come to the 21st chapter of the book of Proverbs, and chapter 21 now is one of the great chapters in Proverbs. In fact, all of them are great, but this is especially so, I feel, and I think we'll see it as we get into it. Now, the first verse I'm reading in Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of Jehovah as the rivulets of water He turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, it doesn't make any difference how powerful a man may be. He may have been a pharaoh in Egypt. He may have been a king of Babylon. He may have been the emperor of Rome. He may have been a Caesar. He may have been an Alexander the Great or a Napoleon. He may have been a Joe Stalin or an Adolf Hitler, or whoever comes along next, and there'll be one. You can put this down. He cannot act in independence of God. He may think he can. We today, in this country, have a declaration of independence, and right now it's being used for us to declare our independence of God. He's the last one that we thought had any rule over us. We believe in liberty, so today we've declared we are free of God. But you want to know something? We're not free of God. No man is. You cannot act independently. The king's heart is in the hand of Jehovah. And God's going to turn him just like he turns a little babbling brook that comes down the mountainside. It will take this course This year, next year, it'll go down another course. Who does that? God does that. That's not chance. And this king or this ruler or this person cannot act independently of God. And I wish we had more men today in public office who expressed a dependence upon God and showed it in their lives and quit telling us that they've got the solution for all the problems of the world. Now, they haven't and that is misrepresentation for any man to say that. No man is independent of Almighty God, and we need to recognize our dependence upon Him. Oh, may this country be called back before it's too late to a dependence upon God. And we need a new declaration, but this time a declaration of dependence upon Almighty God. How important that is. And we trust that there may be a turning back to God. And it can only come, according to my book, through the Word of God. Now, let me move on down. Verse 2. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but Jehovah pondereth the hearts. And here again is this matter of man's self-righteousness. There's so much said about that in Proverbs. As I've put in my notes, man rationalizes And God scrutinizes. God looks at your heart. And what you've attempted to do is to paint up the surface and have the outside looking nice. I'm a member of a church. I teach a class even. And I serve on a committee. And I'm very active. Yes, but what about your heart? God pondereth the heart. And he says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And have you been to the Lord Jesus and have spoken to him about your desperate condition, and he's the great physician he's a heart specialist, he gives you a new heart. he's the first one that went in this business of a heart transplant, a heart that can be obedient unto him now, verse three, to do righteousness and judgment is more acceptable to Jehovah than sacrifice well. <laughs> Here again, we have that tremendous truth that you can go through a religious ritual. Now, remember that in the Old Testament, that sacrifice pointed to Jesus Christ. And our Lord, you remember how he denounced the religious rulers, the Pharisees. His language is withering. He blanched them. May I say to you, he scorched them. And he said what they were. On the outside, he says, you look like a beautiful monument. Inside, it's dead men's bones. You're like a pretty golden dish on the outside. Inside, why, there's never been a dishwasher that's cleaned the thing out. My heart, he went after them, called them a generation of vipers. And God says, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. God says, even the sacrifice of Christ will transform you. And if it doesn't transform you, to bring good works, even at the same time, speaking of the fact that you're trusting Jesus when you're not trusting him. I tell you, this gets down, my friend, to the marrow and to the bone of our souls. And it's very important. Again, let me repeat what we said last time. If you were convicted Of being a Christian and brought into court, would there be enough evidence to convict you? My, that gets to us, ought to. Verse 4, a high look and a proud heart and the tillage of the lawless is sin. Now, a high look. Do you know that if you walked into church on Sunday morning and you see Miss Jones or Mr. Smith and you just turned your head, you know so you wouldn't have to speak to them. I was in a group the other day, and there's a man there that has said some unlovely things about me. He acted as if he didn't see me at all. High look, proud heart, and the tillage of the lawless is sin. Now, may I say to you, that high look that you even gave in church, maybe nobody noticed it. Maybe the individual... Didn't pay any attention to it. But God did. And God said, you just well have gone out and got drunk. In my eyes, there's no difference between the two. It's just as bad. Of course, we don't measure it that way. Now he says, the tillage of the lawless is sin. Now, anybody would say, you see that man out yonder plowing? My, he's an industrious man. And he ought to be merited, given a merit for that. God said, That even that evil man with the evil heart, even when he's plowing, God says in his sight, it's sin. Now, that means, sinner, you can't give anything to God. I ought to make it clear as we go along on this program, when we mention the fact that we depend upon listeners, we really mean Christians. I don't think God can bless a gift from any person who's unsaved at all. Years ago in Dallas, Texas, a brewery down there sent, I think it was $50,000 to a certain Christian school, sent another $50,000 to a certain college of another denomination, and then sent 50000 to a hospital of another group. The college, I guess it was two schools, they returned it. And they would not keep it. They would not accept it from the brewery. The hospital did. And a comment was made on that, that they felt the colleges had done well in returning it. Why? Because God can bless it. God can't use it. Now, today it may be that these institutions would have accepted it and kept it. I don't know. But in that day, the word was out that they didn't keep it at all. And I always felt that that was a very good thing. And... Have you ever noticed what God said to the nation Israel? Over in the 10th chapter, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, when you're going about to establish your own righteousness, God says it's sin. The righteousness of man is filthy rags in God's sight. That's what he says. And this is the demonstration of it. Now, I move on down in this chapter in verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteous, but to everyone that is hasty only to want. The getting of treasures... By a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. The robbery of the lawless shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment. You see what he's saying here that actually riches that are accumulated in an honest way, God can use them. There's no sin in being rich. It's how you got your money. That's the important thing. And God sees to it that your riches, and you may be as rich as any man today, and you will not be able to enjoy it. Do you get the impression that there are certain rich men that are not really having a very good time? Their riches are really not what they need. They need something else. The story is told about the Arab that got lost out in the desert. And he had no food, no water, and he was about to die. And the poor fella saw a package that had dropped off a caravan. And he thought, my, there probably is dates in that, food in that, and maybe a can or something to drink. And he picked that package up and eagerly and hungrily and trembling, he tore it open and looked at it. And then he dropped it in great disappointment. You know what he said? Why, well, he says, it's only pearl. Yes, at that time he didn't need pearls, although those pearls were worth a fortune. He didn't need them. He just dropped them. May I say to you, you can get rich. God says that won't do you a bit of good unless you make it in the right way, unless that you use it for his glory. My, what a proverb this is. Verse 8, the way of a guilty man is very crooked, but as for the pure, his work is right. In other words, your life will demonstrate what kind of a person you really are. If you are right with God, why, it's going to be revealed in your life. Now, verse 9, it's better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Now, a brawling woman that seeks to run the whole place and is loud, well, very frankly, it'd be better if you just had a little corner up in an attic somewhere. And that is true. And I told a story about the man in Nashville, the retired pastor of the church. He and I would make a trip down to City Hall, he was a member of our church, and he always would get him out of jail. He'd be arrested for drunkenness, this man would. And we got him out again and again. And then one time, this retired preacher said something I'll never forget. He said, you know, if I was married to the woman he's married to, I'd drink also. And very candidly, it's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop. And I'd turn that around and say it'd be the same thing for the woman that could be married To the wrong husband, my wife and I were talking the other night about some folk we know, and we said how sorry we felt for the wife to be married to a man like that. There are illustrations of that in the Scripture. Job, you know, didn't do so well with a wife. And David, you remember, was married to a daughter of Saul. We've always condemned David. But he had no fellowship, and there wasn't any real love in that marriage at all. You remember, she ridiculed David and told him, he said, you made a fool of yourself when you brought the ark in dancing before the ark like that. Why, you were disgraceful. And Believe me, if you show a little enthusiasm for God, why, there'll be a great many people that'll be embarrassed. Now, verse 11, when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. That's very important to note that you learn lessons and we should learn lessons from the experience of others around us. Verse 13, whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be answered. Now, God has said that. That's either true or it's not true. And I think that you'll find it true. We could give present-day illustrations in public life, but I'll not do that. Verse 14, a gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. And you remember that when Jacob was returning back, he knew Esau had robbed him and thought Esau was his enemy because he'd heard Esau intended to kill him. Well, the fact of the matter is that he sent gifts ahead, you know, and to pacify him. Well, I want to say that he didn't need to do that. God had taken care of that. But that actually is not the way that it's done. And you know, there are people that say today, well, I'm going to be generous because I'll be rewarded. Or I'm going to forgive somebody something because if I do that, why, it'll make me feel better. Jane Marchant wrote a little poem that illustrates that and that sort of thing is wrong. Listen to this. If I forgive an injury because resenting would poison me, I may feel noble, I may feel splendid, but it isn't exactly what Christ intended. No it isn't. We are to forgive why? Because God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. That's the reason we're to be kind, tender hearted, forgiving what not because it makes you feel better. Low motives are given. And then in verse 15, it's a joy to the just to do what's right, but it's the ruin to the workers of iniquity. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall abide in the assembly of the dead. God says you don't rehabilitate criminals. The thing to do is to get the little fellas in these crime-ridden areas and give them the word of God, friends. We're doing it the wrong end, according to God. And I somehow or another feel that God's right about all of this. And here is a verse that I wish that I could spend time with, but can't do it. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Now we have glorified the theater. And as a result, the philosophy that is taught on television and taught in plays and in books has got our entire Society, the great principles, moral principles, everything is turned upside down. Now, at one time, even in the court of a king, a jester or an entertainer was called a fool. I don't think that's been changed in God's sight at all. But today, entertainers are sacred cows. They are the ones that are popular. They get on these talk programs and glorify themselves and one another. God says, and still says it, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. And there have been several that have committed suicide, and I won't mention names. And one man made this statement, I'm bored with life. Another is, it's not worth living. <laughs> and another comedian, when he was dying, his friends gathered around for him to say something funny. He looked at them in stark fear and dread and said, this is not funny. No, my friend, we've got the thing turned upside down and no wonder the television today is like the wilderness of Moab. Nothing really to see. And it becomes pretty boring to look at it. Now, I want to mention this verse 18. The lawless shall be a ransom for the righteous. But that's been turned around and Jesus... He was the righteous, and he was made a ransom for us, the lawless, the ones that do not do good. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then notice verse 22, A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. And you can see that it was not the strength of Babylon that enabled it to stand. It was the wisdom that made it, and it was not their battlements, because it was the wisdom that destroyed it. Gabrias, the general outside, Media Persian general, is the one that figured out a way to get in. We need not more atom bombs, we need more wise men, godly men. Oh, how this country is suffering from the want of godly men. The godless are running this thing, and we're in deep trouble because it's not the atom bomb. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think we ought to keep all we got and maybe make two or three more. But the important thing is we need godly men. The wise man knows how to get into a city and destroy the mighty. Always that's true. May God richly bless you, my beloved.
0: Dr. McGee has more to say in just a minute, but first, if you'd like to be in contact, just call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. And then join us next time as we continue this amazing journey through the Bible.
1: In the few moments that are left to us, I'd like to back up for just a moment because we have come to one of the great chapters of the book of Proverbs and actually one of the great chapters of the Bible. You will note as we progress in this book of Proverbs that the Proverbs are becoming deeper, more personal, and more spiritual. You see, the boy that went away to school, he had to start in first grade and learn to read and write and arithmetic and righteousness too. But this now becomes one of the richest sections of the Word of God because this is, shall I say, on college level, and maybe higher than that. This chapter that we're in right now is one of the great chapters of the Scripture. And the overall picture now that we've been over, and we'll continue next time, there is a sharp contrast between good and evil, between the righteous and the wicked. Now, good and evil are abstract terms, but they manifest themselves through human beings. Take verse 10 here. We read, "...the soul of the wicked desireth evil, his neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes." In other words, the wicked desires evil and brings it to action and does not like his neighbor because his neighbor may be an upstanding person. And then notice the thing that is said here about the righteous one, and that's in verse 12 and 13. The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. In other words, the righteous man is going to manifest his life in righteous acts, righteous deeds. James says, faith without works is dead. Now, that's not works of the law or works that you work up yourself. It's the works of faith. Calvin put it like this, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. And then you have here a very interesting commentary on marriage, We did touch on one of the verses. Verse 9, it's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. But we didn't take verse 19, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. This is something that I've never heard dealt with in a seminar, by the way. Actually, what he's saying here is, be careful whom you marry. In other words, you better be sure of the whom, by the way, that she is the right person, and for the girl that he is the right man. How important it is. The seminars on marriage are almost like locking the stable after the horse is gone. Why not seminars for the young people before they get married? This is the thing that's needed today. It's not that there are certain ones getting divorces. The great problem of the hour is that there are certain people getting married today, and they ought not to get married. And certainly a counseling session with the right kind of a pastor would indicate that, at least would be able to give them a warning. How often we've seen that take place. After a long ministry... I do have some very fixed ideas, definite ideas, as I have watched young people come in their joy and in their high expectancy to the marriage altar. And the day comes when there's nothing left but bitterness and nothing left but it might have been. Well, they didn't listen, it's true, but also some were warned. And some did follow through. My high important that is in these days in which we live. Jesus came-
0: the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?